Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Joanna Nijinska, Tamara Trojanowska, and Agnieszka Polakowska, editors of Being Poland, a new history of Polish literature and culture since 1918. This volume was published by the University of Toronto Press in 2018. Joanna Nijinska is Associate Professor in the Department of Slavic and East European Languages and Cultures at Indiana University. She's also the Director of a Polish Studies Center at IU. Tamara Trojanowska is Associate Professor in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures at the University of Toronto. Agnieszka Polakowska is a freelance a translator and editor. Hello, Joanna, Agnieszka, and Tamara. Hello. Hello. Congratulations on the publication of this impressive work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Being Poland, as I mentioned, is very impressive. It's a volume that counts um, over um, 1,350 pages, and it presents more than 60 essays by authors from all over the world who specialize in Polish literature and culture. Uh, Would you tell us about this project? How did it start? It, uh, the idea for the project was born um, quite a long time ago at one of our international conferences in Polish studies, um, 12 years ago, I believe, um, in Toronto, uh, when uh, a group of scholars, uh, transatlantic scholars, realized that we really need to have a new history of, of literature and culture since um, uh, the previous uh, histories of literatures um, and literatures at the time um, did not cover the last 40 or 50 years of cultural production. So um, having uh, under consideration our needs uh, as as, um, uh, faculty members in various um, uh, educational institutions, we decided to put together um, a team of editors and um, start this project conceptualizing this project. Mm-hmm. So uh, why did you choose this particular format? Uh, 60 authors, and it's impressive to say the least. Uh, and how is the book structured? Well, we decided to um, do this uh, project uh, differently from the projects that already are in existence, or were in existence at the time. Uh, and used um, there were there are three major histories of Polish uh, literature on the market, but the last one was published in 1969 with uh, small uh, short amendments um, uh, later on. So uh, all of the three uh, Manfred Kridl's, uh, Czesław Miłosz's, uh, and uh, Krzyżanowski's are single authored monolingual authorial takes reading of Polish literature, the history of Polish literature. They also cover the whole mm-hmm. of Polish, the history, the whole history of Polish literature. Um, but they also end way before where our students' interests usually are nowadays. So 
uh, hence the need, but also hence the format, we decided that we wanted to create a volume that will be uh, polyphonic, that will create a new community of scholars, uh, will be transatlantic in a sense of involving colleagues from Poland, uh, North America, including the United States and Canada, um, and some uh, also some colleagues from other European countries. So this um, conversation that um, spans uh, generations, uh, it's multi-generational, uh, spans different institutional cultures, different methodological choices, different theoretical approaches, um, also different statuses of uh, our colleagues. We have junior colleagues, we have um, stars, we have um, uh, people who are in the middle of their careers um, already. There's a couple of independent scholars. There is a couple of independent scholars. Um, so uh, we wanted this to become a multivocal um, history of Polish literature um, and uh, a volume that will also be written specifically. I mean, the, or composed of text that will be written specifically for this volume. So there is only one reprint. And uh, mostly, so this was m m the, the foundational uh, concept of who will be there. Um, and then there was, of course, a conceptualization of how we wanted this volume to look like. Mm -hmm. And uh, the translation part. Yes. <laughs> well, um, some of the contributors, I'm not sure where actually about the percentages, but let's say it was 50-50, um, we're writing in Polish. Um, I think the decision uh, to allow everybody to submit in Polish was uh, made in order to ensure that they deliver, you know, a, a, the most authentic sort of uh, expression of uh, on the subject of, and that was uh, my uh, my luck my luck to to uh, to be able to translate uh, some of these texts. Um, the challenges of the translation process, I think, I apparently weren't as keenly felt because of the time span that the project took. So I did not have to do this all in a year. Mm -hmm. um, there, the the text came in phases. Um, at the same time, uh, that meant that there was some, um, for me, the challenge was to maintain some kind of a, a uniformity in, in, uh, in how I was translating each text while also respecting the individual style of each author. Um, English and Polish are extremely different uh, grammatically and stylistically. Uh, the way that people, uh, academics, write in Poland is, uh, well, frankly, worlds apart from the way that academic discourse looks uh, here in North America. Um, and so there was an additional challenge of ensuring that while the style is maintained, to some extent it is also readable uh, for the audience for which this book is intended. And that is a, an English-speaking North American uh, or Anglo-Saxon um, uh, audience. So um, I did have a lot of help. Uh, the, the, a lot of the editorial decisions were not just mine to make. They did come from the main editors. So, uh, so that certainly made the job easier for me as a translator. I did not have to take responsibility for every single decision. We had a wonderful team with whom we could consult. Um, yeah. 
Well, the uh, subtitle of the um, volume says A New History of Polish Literature and Culture Since 1918. And, and I think um, that uh, you already touched a little bit on this section, but uh, I would like uh, to um, have some specific moments as well. So I guess I have more than one question here. Why 1918 as a starting point? And of course, it can be... Uh, guessed and understood, but still I would like to have your input to that. And uh, why not earlier, for example, or later? Uh, what new perspectives do you highlight and offer? Uh, it is mentioned in the beginning, the histories written before this one were also mono, uh, monological. Miwash's book in particular was a personal and at times even a biased account. Well, 1918, since 1918, um has, um, there are several reasons why why this particular date. Um, this is, uh, of course, the date when Poland regains its um, independence, statehood, after 123 years of partitions. So in, Pol in periodization of Polish culture, this is a very distinct uh, date, um, uh, which also resonates uh, with the title of the book, one of the understandings of the title of the book. You can understand this title in several different ways, but one of the understandings would be also as Poland being, uh, coming to, 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 to its being as a state, um, and being and becoming uh, Poland. Um, a, a very practical reason uh, for this, start to start with this period, is that... Uh, mm, as we mentioned, uh, the previous uh, histories that we were um, uh, that, that were our predecessors uh, did not cover the material that needed to be covered, um, the, the forty years of of, 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 of culture, and uh, this was also the period that was um, uh, usually met with the greatest uh, interest from 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 our audience, from our graduate students, from colleagues. Um, and there are several reasons for that, uh, but I think that one of the most important reasons is that uh, modern literature, contemporary literature, has um, the greatest number of translations. Um, so, you know, there is simply plenty of material to read in English um, that needed to be um, uh, critically uh, uh, treated and, and, and presented to the English-speaking audience. Now, of course, the, another part of this subtitle is a new. Well, it's 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 indeed a new history in the sense uh, that we already talked about. So no need to repeat that. But also, it's a new in the sense that how we conceptualize the volume uh, intellectually, uh, what we wanted this volume to include, and um, uh, without going into you know uh, a list of uh, of of specific titles. Um, and a table of content, I think it is very much uh, worth mentioning that the book um, starts with um, a very uh, um, comprehensive uh, outline uh, of three major um, paradigmatic frameworks for Polish culture that go that all go back, way back. Uh, into the past. Uh, one is Sarmatism, the other one is Romanticism, and only the third one is Modernism. All three are treated in, a, uh, in, in two voices, very different, sometimes poles apart uh, in terms of positioning of the authors vis-a-vis -vis that material, and this was also done on, on purpose. 
Um, and they kind of lay the ground uh, for the understanding of the meta narratives of Polish literature and culture. Um, we also do have sections in which we discuss major strategies of creating and reading Polish literature and culture. Um, we identified four um, specific for this culture. Uh, we have a fantastic section that uh, broadens the understanding of what we am, what we mean by Polish literature and culture. That includes, um, of course, diasporic um, culture, literature and culture. Uh, also, literature, Polish literature that was has been written in languages other than Polish. Uh, it also treats um, the issue of translations, uh, the kind of trans. Uh, Atlantic and uh, 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 migrations um, of, of literary production. And it's only the fourth part that brings what uh, readers may identify as more classically understood history of literature, which is uh, actual genres. Um, but in order to enrich that um, section, we also included genres that are very uh, rarely covered in those classical models. Um, we went definitely beyond, you know, prose, drama and poetry and uh, um, have um, chapters on uh, reportage, on film, on uh, popular culture, on mass media, on graphic novels um, and an essay, for example, also including literary theory as a particular subgenre that we wanted to bring into this volume. So, uh, the the conceptual framework of the book is basically to create uh, a new way of understanding the modern, which we identified as starting in 1918 for historical reasons, and uh, also to broaden that framework to include other voices that are and have been uh, prolific um, within the, the culture production in, in the Polish context and often have not made it into the actual histories of Polish literature and culture. Uh, so, so these would be the two ways of um, describing how this volume constitutes, in fact, a new history of Polish literature and culture, mm -hmm. very briefly. Mm -hmm. And what's the intended audience for the volume? Is it the audience inside Poland, outside Poland, both? Um, I think the primary audience um, is is um, clear with by the choice of language. Mm -hmm. It is intended for readers outside of Poland. Readers in Poland have access to a wealth of materials and uh, they do not have the same need to have this material presented in this form as readers outside. Um, but more than just readers, uh, more specifically, um, the, the book is, is meant to serve a function in a classroom, um, especially for graduate students, but also for undergraduates who are uh, perhaps wanting to have an introduction to Polish literature that is accessible. Um, I think there was a lot of effort uh, put into making the references within this book readable to, to, to this uh, English-speaking audience of, of bringing in examples that are perhaps in some way uh, complementary from 
Polish culture, across uh, to American culture. Um, so it is very much meant to be a pedagogical tool, uh, a resource, and I think it has already, um, or at least uh, during the, the book promotions, uh, there's been a, a number of positive comments from from teachers um, uh, indicating that it will indeed play this role. So I think mm-hmm. we are all quite thrilled mm-hmm. about that. Um, it is it is meant to be um, a book that students can refer to as they mm-hmm. explore, um, or you know, on the request to to explore Polish literature and culture. So the book is written by authors who live outside Poland as well. Um, and uh, would you share your ideas on how literatures and cultures are read, understood, and experienced from within, from outside, so to speak? What does it add to our understanding of culture? What is probably lost or hidden? It's a very complex question because, on the one hand, uh, we may say that, you know, today, nowadays, in the global market, this free um uh transmission of cultural products that include everything from songs films novels reportages and everything else should probably be uh read and understood as this general well universal wealth of um of cultural production but we also know from actually pedagogical experiences that this is not necessarily so that that contextualizing um, literature and culture is as important as as analyzing it uh, or seeing it in the landscape of various correspondences and synergies. So uh, I think that it's still uh, reading um, translated literature uh, is a challenge because, of course, some things gain and some things are lost in translation. So translation, of course, is an extraordinarily important part of this whole project, also because we rely on translations to be able to make that literature in any way accessible. Um, but in uh, in many ways, finding, finding a corresponding context that is not too heavily weighted with detail that then um, the more um, the, 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 the literary uniqueness gets lost uh, in the explanation of all the details of, of, of contextual details, historical or otherwise. I think this is a very, very difficult balance, right? So on the one hand, we want literature not to function not completely outside of those specific, unique cultural context in which literature was writ- this literature was written. And on the other hand, we don't want that context to completely overshadow or weigh down um, the reading experience that may indeed in the new um, uh, in the new cultural context bring brilliant interpretations simply because, they reverberate, the literature itself reverberates with a very new um, referential uh, framework. And I think that it's extraordinarily important to allow for this new referential framework to, to, to vibrate and to resonate. Um, and 
that is for me that has always been the most interesting, challenging, and difficult balance to maintain. Yeah, and one ways of um, one of the ways to 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 deal with this with this problem of creating rich interreferential mm-hmm. network um, um, was just the very structure of the book, where uh, different modes of approaching the material is very visible. So. Um, we are giving different types of maps uh, to our readers. The first map, uh, first division of the book, big, big part of the book, which is called um, uh, Transmissions, um, really deals with these large meta-narratives, right? What shaped Polish... Transitions. Transitions, transitions, transitions yeah. Mm-hmm. The transmissions too, but yeah, transmissions is part three. Part three, transmissions. Right. So the first part, uh, those big um, uh, meta narratives that really shaped um, Polish cultural imagination. Um, they are like uh, I don't know, like really um, showing the borders of the countries, uh, and then in another uh, a, a part called. Um, uh, strategies. Uh, we present four different uh, strategies of interpretation. Uh, in some sense, those are like different lenses that you put on to look at the map, mm-hmm. uh, more than just the map itself, mm-hmm. right? Those are basically angles from which you right. want to look at this map. And those are um, really sometimes complementary, sometimes contradictory uh, modes Um we have a transgressive mode, uh, we have emancipatory mode, canonical and compensatory. And then we shift to this um, issue of um, diasporic literature, mm-hmm. uh, trans- transmissions, uh, translation um, literature in other, Polish literature in languages other than Polish. Uh, so really kind of like othering the language, uh, the literature from within and culture from within. So no more um, treating uh, literature as something that is linguistically defined, but really looking at it from a much more dynamic perspective. And then finally, that uh, fourth part uh, on genres and their discontents. Uh, Discontent is very important Mm -hmm. here because, of course, um, on the one hand, it's a very uh, good organizing tool, genres. is a good tool um, not only because it's simply it's working with something familiar all the traditional histories of, of literature would uh, present genres but also because in terms of cultural uh, export of, of Polish literature uh, the, the question of genre was uh, very much embedded in the idea of uh, Polish film school Polish school of poetry Polish school of reportage so this is how the kind of literature was reaching um, context outside of the Polish context through genres. On the other hand, of course, if you remember um, plenty of postmodern debates about uselessness of genres mm-hmm. or genres being so hybridish that they don't <laughs> exist anymore, um, one wonders, right? Uh, we still think that that uh, there's something to be said mm-hmm. about traditionally uh, construed genres and it's a good organizing tool, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially that uh, each chapter on genres has uh, 
smaller chap- subchapters that deal with specific, uh, most striking uh, figures, uh, authors representing a particular, a particular media, a particular genre, that also allows us to put a lot of kind of heterogeneity and. Uh, hmm. uh, Multiplicity, so right? Speak, and yeah. and this also this this um, structure also invites very different kinds of reading. So the book, uh, when you talk about what audience is it for, this book is also for um, very diverse audiences. People who want to study Polish literature and read this particular book from cover to cover linearly. Uh, it is meant for the audience who just wants to open the book at random and read at random about something or other. It is also for a reader who wants to wonder and get lost and then reemerge uh, in an unexpected place. It's for someone who, like a flaneur, uh, wants to take a stroll and uh, enjoys the, the, the trip for a short time and then takes a break in a cafe. Uh, or in the interwar Polish cabaret, uh, or for that matter, um, at a movie theater uh, watching a film or meeting a particular author. Um, It's for someone who finally wants a big landscape and wants to just stand there and wonder uh, why and how this culture had produced this interwoven, conflicted, uh, chaotic, wonderfully uh, dynamic uh, landscape of um, of influences, uh, unique features, um, and and uh, dangerous crevices over which uh, we may fall and break our neck. So mm-hmm. this is uh, you know it invites uh, courageous readers who want to climb, and those who want the lazy ones who want to stroll, and the and the and, and everybody in between. So the the in other words the. Strategies of reading uh, are those various strategies of reading are deeply embedded in the way that the book is constructed. Also, the garden of forking paths and the garden of forking paths, <laughs> where you can yes, take where you, you can get lost, <laughs> and uh, well, you can with and, every every choice you have other yes. forking choices, right? Yeah, so and then you may get stuck there. You may get stuck in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, um, I think that this. Um, uh, very again um, dynamic and uh, pluralistic and democratic and uh, um, polyphonic uh, structure that uh, Tamara described um, uh, really um, reflects just the very qualities, contradictions, tensions, ruptures. Uh, and it's just the richness of, of of this you know strange beast that is Polish culture. Mm-hmm. And then one of our promotions. Um, Someone said that uh, a, a great advantage of studying Polish culture is that you you are you don't need to worry about problematizing. It's pro, <laughs> it's prepackaged, pre-problematized, pre-problematized for you, right? It's a prepackaged. Yeah. I just I wanted to say something uh, just uh, about the the your question about the difference between the inside and the outside view, and and I think. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, this book includes scholars from not just Poland, but also other countries, scholars who are not already at the top of their profession, but rather just entering it, 
is because distance matters. And all of these positions are um, imply a certain distance, a, a different kind of a distance. So being up close is awesome for details. And and we do from we do get a lot of facts and anecdotes and 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 things that um, would be hard to access for somebody outside of Poland from the Polish authors. They have at their disposal a wealth of, of tiny little minor information that they can very skillfully bring forward to present. Uh, of course, the outside perspective um, perhaps registers less details and yet provides um, uh, sometimes a fuller view, right? So it just has uh, some of the blind spots are eliminated when you step outside of the thing that is directly around you surrounding you and influencing your everyday life so the the way that these authors approach their subject differs because of where they are and that difference matters uh, in terms of how we view culture and literature to begin with so i think that the book was meant to bring both sides together mm-hmm. to to give you a glimpse of the up close the very personal and but also you know the the sort of yeah, that a little bit that the, the look from outside. What does it look like from from a distance? How can we read it without sort of breathing it? Um, that's that's all. I have. One of the tensions that uh, the volume also mentions uh, is the tension between modern and postmodern. And I'm very tempted to ask this question about how. Uh, the tension between modern and postmodern uh, probably informs the volume and shapes the volume at the same time. Um, in what way does it shape critical approaches to literature and culture? It's a very um, it's a very difficult question. Why? Because uh, the postmodern, I think, um, as a as a term that would define anything other than, um, you know, general characteristics of fragmentary, multiple, da, 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 da. it doesn't have a critical edge that we could apply to answer your question. In other words, uh, clearly we, we are no longer thinking within the modernist mm-hmm. paradigm. Clearly we have lived through the dismantling of that paradigm and still are clearly aware of its um, um, very solid presence uh, in our thinking. And yet, at this, at, by the same token, um, no one can now claim that the postmodern framework has not happened. So mm-hmm. the, vo- the way that we were talking about the, the, the structure of the volume clearly points to that lesson learned from what postmodernism brought into our view and into how it changed our way of thinking about culture. Um, And at the same time, you know, when when you are asking about uh, critical assessment, I don't think postmodernism can allow us to really talk about it. So in many ways... um, I don't think this is a framework within which we can say anything other than we have already said. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, there are other critical notions that may help us think about this volume. Someone uh, just yesterday uh, mentioned the, the rhizomic uh, way mm-hmm. of looking at it. 
Um, whether this indeed is the most useful, uh, I don't know, but it definitely catches something more precisely than the broad term that is really indeterminate after you know many decades of its existence, such as postmodern. So if I were to think about it in, in critical terms, I would say it's not uh, it's not um, uh, it's not following the the uh, the, the linear mm-hmm. passage. It's it's offering this kind of rhizomic um, view uh, of of literature and culture. It seems to me that you're saying that the lesson of postmodernity has been so internalized <laughs> that it's not a, a kind of a category that we need to engage. No, no but plus right? I, I don't think it has ever offered an actual uh, critically useful um, it's a descript- I mean it, it turned into a very descriptive category, you know, a list an endless list of features and characteristics um, and I think that's yes, it's, it's been internalized and it's been internalized uh, yeah. in, in a yeah. sense to get yeah. to that list, yeah. right? That's you right. need to that's right. perform a few critical uh, yes, activities right, well, to course, get to yeah. that. So, so that, I was saying, right, yeah. that's already that's, behind us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the volume covers cultural developments starting with uh, 1918 and progressing into the current moment. So where does the volume, so to speak, take the break? Uh, when it ends? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to probably, probably when we <laughs> accepted our last contribution. Um, it uh, was our um, uh, assumption that we do not want to present a kind of uh, canonical only, uh, I don't want to say ossified, but kind of already sanctified by, by, by time um, version of um, Polish culture. Uh, it was very important uh, to catch that moment in Statuna Sandy. So, like this, this, this past uh, last decade, right? So, I, I think that if you want a number, I would just tell you probably till two thousand fifteen, something like 16, that. Sixteen, mm-hmm. right? So, very, very recent developments. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, but we were not afraid to. Actually, not only not, we're not afraid, we encourage that uh, in our contributors to make statements that are risky and that will only be validated by time. And, you know, this is always what happens when you deal with the most recent production. You really don't know whether whether it will stand the, 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 the test of time or not. Um, and I think it's part of this kind of dynamic uh, dynamic uh, interpretation that um, that the book tries mm-hmm. to present. But it's also part of what's new in its concept mm-hmm. uh, that is treating the current as already historical in a sense, right? That, a, a, a material for a history. Um, so the book, in fact, starts in 1918. Uh, the book starts in 1918 and in fact takes us back into the 16th and 17th century. It's a history and and in fact it claims that what happened just now already belongs to it uh, without any or very little verification by by time. And uh, in both directions it actually claims, I believe, that there is uh, that there are 
continuities and discontinuities. There are knots and loose ends um, in that culture um, that need to speak uh, to each other uh, and to the reader um, in their either very far distance or very close proximity. And I would even extend it further. It projects something uh, onto the, Into future. the future. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of um, imagining um, an identity of culture. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 projecting onto the future some trajectories that we think maybe are um, inevitable, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe are possible. Well, you know, certainly. This is where our imagination takes us. So uh, we were trying really to treat, we were trying to be like futurists in our own town time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and really treating that past uh, as something that very much resonates in, in the nowness and something that will uh, continue with us into the future. Uh, so we, we hope that, yeah, there's also this... this mm-hmm. Prediction almost mm. mode, right? Yes, uh, yes, or, yeah, or, or, or postulate in or a sense, postulate, right? Uh, but it also, of course, in, in includes horizon, horizon, yes. <laughs> it, but it also includes mm-hmm. certain hope that the book will serve mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. you know one cohort of students that mm-hmm. that they will be reading this book uh, for a few years to come, um, with still a sense that it has some kind of um, relevance to their own experience of literature and culture, um, which, of course, as we all, I think, realize is, is, is not a given, particularly in the world that changes as quickly as our world now does. Yeah, but I think that our kind of safety valve for this is really the kind of democratic nature mm-hmm. of, 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 of the process, democratic nature of uh, of this theme, right? Uh, so many different voices, mm-hmm. uh, so many different points of entry, uh, uh, different lenses, different generational experiences that are brought uh, into this book, different institutional frameworks uh, also very much affects us, right? How mm-hmm. we write and to whom we write. And and we have that amazing um on the one hand, an eclectic team. On the other hand, the team that really came together and as rigorously as it was possible mm-hmm. followed that, 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 that concept, that structure, that format. Um, so we are hoping that uh, that time will not disqualify uh, quickly <laughs> our voices. But even if it disqualifies some, some others should stay mm-hmm. simply because yeah, there's quite a, yes. a large variety. But uh, I would like to add to that some guidance that you provide for reading this uh, volume. You already mentioned some of these um, ideas and some of these uh, um, suggestions. But still, well, I, 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 I re- very much appreciated that paragraph. So this is a quote. Um, Readers uh, would do well not to rush through this book. It doesn't have to be read in its entirety, nor does it need to be read in sequence. The approach can be random or with the reader acting like a contemporary flanner uh, on a journey that is open to chance, sensitive to detail, and aimed at discovering not the whole of the city, but its individual fragments, with all that that 
that they entail. So I, uh, I believe that uh, it's very poetic. <laughs> um, well, um, thank you so much, um, Agnieszka, Joanna, and Tamara for joining me today. Again, congratulations on the publication of this impressive work, which offers new perspectives, not only for the study of Polish literature and culture, but also for the consideration of cultural phenomenon from the standpoint of the overlapping of the local and global. Being Poland in this regard provides space for the reconsideration of literature and culture within uh, the um, glo uh, globalized context. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for Today I spoke with Joanna Nizinska and Tamara Trojanowska and Agnieszka um, Polakowska, editors of Being Poland, a new history of Polish literature and culture since 1918. Thank you for listening to the Literary Studies Podcast and New Books Network.